Welcome to Writes for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Each week on The Convo Couch, I'll be chatting to a wide range of women writers, focusing on the heart, craft and business of writing, along with a new release feature author each month. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi everyone, it's Pam here and I'm coming to you live from Virginia, although I am obviously recording this podcast and it's on a very cold, chilly Friday morning, but the sun is shining It's a long weekend and at least it is here in Sydney and I'm bringing you today a great episode all about new releases. So the second half of this episode is going to be the actual launch of Pamela Hart's Digging Up Dirt, which I had the pleasure of hosting last night at Berkelow's at Leichhardt. It was a really great launch. Shout out to Mel and Caleb at Berkelow's who did a fabulous job of setting everything up and also to Pamela and her husband, Stephen and Rob, for putting on such a great event and fabulous food and drink and lots of great readers there and some writer friends. And uh, we had a really good time talking about digging up dirt. And I'll get onto that when I talk about new releases as well. So to start with, I will actually do my writing news and then we'll get into the new releases. So for me at the moment, what I'm doing with writing is actually writing again, which is really nice. You know, writers, we write, but we don't always write every day. And I'm really fortunate, as many of you will know, to be in a fantastic writing group called The Inkwell. And I don't know where I'd be without these these girls. And we've decided that a few of us, me included, needed a butt kick. So we have a new mantra, which is mornings are for writing. So with that idea that if you don't do it in the morning, you know, it gets pushed aside and you actually probably don't even get to it later in the day. I have been very guilty of that lately and procrastinating a lot. So myself and a few of the others in the group are now doing a morning writing session every day. We message each other on the WhatsApp group that we have and let everyone know we've started. And then one of us is the butt kicker for the month and does a roundup at lunchtime just so we can all check in and report back. And that accountability is actually working really, really well for me. You know, sometimes in the morning I get up and I think, oh, I'll just do something else first. You know, it can wait. And then I think, no, no, you know, the girls are out there writing. I need to be writing too. So highly recommend that if you're a procrastinator and you're not really getting as many words down as you'd like, you know get together with a few writing buddies, check in with each other on a daily basis or or whatever schedule you set up for yourselves and uh, find yourself some accountability and a good butt kicker because that's really important. So I am actually working on my novel, which I've been working on for some time, Women's Fiction, Because You're Mine. I can't say exactly when that's going to be out or how, 
but it will be out sometime, hopefully in the not too distant future. And as I said, I am getting the words down now. I'm doing some revisions on the earlier section, writing some new scenes towards the end. So it's a bit of a, a mishmash at the moment for me of some drafting, some revision, but I'm really happy with how it's going. It's coming along really well. And that daily focus on it is really paying off. So if you're not, if you know you're not in a great headspace and you feel like you're not getting to your writing, I just highly recommend sitting down, bum glue, even if you're just staring at the screen and, and not writing too much at all, you know, on some sessions, but at least having it there in front of you and and being front and centre for you in terms of, of getting it done. So that's what I'm working on. Of course, I'm working on the podcast. I've been very busy doing some teaching, particularly this month. I've just finished doing a Turn Up the Tension online course for Writing New South Wales. I've taught that course a number of times now and it's going really well. Seem to get great feedback on that and the same this week. And, of course, I'm doing my normal teaching for Australian Writers' Centre, um, doing some creative writing stage one classes there and novel writing essentials and reading really just some fabulous pieces from the students. And, you know, that's really motivating too, just to see other people's dedication and words and the worlds that they're creating. There's quite a few fantasy pieces I'm reading and uh, some crime, YA, lots of general fiction. So that's that's been really good too. So it's pretty busy. Next weekend, I have StoryFest. I'm hosting two panels there. One is Writers on Writing with Jock Sarong, Gabrielle Carey and Catherine Jinks. So that's going to be really great, of course, spending an hour chatting to really accomplished writers about writing. I've had the pleasure of reading all their books this month. It's been great. And I'm also doing a panel with Emily Maguire and Jessica Detman on Families Inside and Out. And of course, love their two books uh, love objects. And this has been absolutely lovely. And I will be chatting to the girls about that. There's still tickets available for StoryFest. If you're in New South Wales, particularly in Sydney or anywhere near the, near the South Coast or can get to the South Coast next weekend, there are tickets to, still available for most of the sessions. Some are sold out, but I can highly recommend it. It's a fabulous program. So storyfest.org.au if you want to check that program out and get yourself some great writing uh, and reading fun next weekend in beautiful Milton Ulladulla, which is my sort of soul home. Love that place. So that's about it on my front. I do want to give a shout out, though, to Rights for Women community supporter, Chrissy Mios. Hey, Chrissy. Um, Chrissy has given me these, sent me this beautiful gift of these gorgeous little earrings. Can you see them? They're little Virginias. So I'm really, really chuffed about that. And the other reason I want to give a shout out to Chrissy is on signing a contract for publication of her debut novel, which will be out next year, The Florentine Quilt. I had the pleasure of reading an earlier version of this. I'm sure it's had some more work since I read it, but it was great even when I read it back probably a year or more ago. And Chrissy is just one of those writers who has kept her eye on the prize. She has you know, reached for publication, but more importantly, she's done the work. You know, she has written numerous books now. She's continued to learn about the writing craft, as we all all should be doing. And I know that there's been some some lows, as there are for all of us in the whole publishing process. But you know, it's the people who continue to work at it, continue to learn, and continue to just really be determined to get their work out there and connect to readers who succeed. And I'm just so excited for Chrissy that this will be her debut novel out next year and I can't wait to see it in print. So congrats, Chrissy. It's amazing. And I'm sure all the Rights for Women community are behind you. 
So without any further ado, let's get on to what I've been reading and what I hope to read and what are some new releases. And as always, I do get these books sent to me from publishers and authors uh, because of the podcast, which is lovely. And I just wish I could read faster and had more time to read because I just can't get through them all. But one thing I am rereading at the moment, and this isn't really part of the the, uh, Rights for Women community, I guess, because it's Craig Sylvie who will be at Storyfest next weekend talking about Honey Bee, his fabulous novel um, about a young man, Sam Watson, who, you know, when we meet Sam at the beginning of the book is actually very, very close to committing suicide. And Craig Sylvie tells his story in just such a beautiful narrative. He's a young man who's come from a very dysfunctional background. He meets and befriends a a lovely guy called Vic, who actually saves him and they save each other. And it's it's a lovely story about um, Sam coming to grips with his sexuality, his identity, his background, his family, and and really, you know, there's a lot of, of heartbreak and, and tragedy in there, but <clears throat> there is so much hope and it's just beautifully written. I'm actually doing a read-along for Lisa Island's read-along group on Sunday for this book and I've been having another look at it because I listened to the audio book quite some time ago. If you into audio books, the audio of this book is really great. The, the narrator is perfect as the voice of Sam and it's a really good way to devour this story. I highly recommend it if you haven't read Honey Bee yet. And I think this is a book that people who love all genres would really enjoy. It's, as I said, a really moving story with a great cast of characters as well. So Highly recommend Honey Bee if you haven't read that one yet. Of course, Digging Up Dirt has been my current read this week, Pamela Hart. It's a cosy mystery and it's a change of genre for Pamela. Many of us know her as Pamela Freeman. She's a prolific author or productive author, she likes to say, of children's fantasy, epic fantasy for adults. She's written biography, crime. She's now into cosy mystery. She's, of course, written quite a few historical fictions as well. But this is a great story. If you love like Miss Fisher's, you know, murder mysteries and and some of those sort of cosy mystery books, Pamela has branched out into the cosy mystery genre. And her protagonist in this book is Poppy, who is renovating a Sydney terrace, an old terrace. It's a very Sydney book. There's loads of Sydney references and settings in here, which is really lovely. It's very contemporary and some bones are found in the bowels, I guess, of the house. And there is also a murder very early as well in the book. So there's a bit of everything in here. There's some political intrigue. There's as Pamela's fabulous writing and there's a little romance as well. So, and uh, at the launch last night, Pamela did reveal there will be another poppy book and hopefully more to come. So, so stay tuned and hear more about this book in the second half of the podcast today. Another fabulous book that's out now, and I can't wait to read this one. It's top of my pile is Maya Linnell, Magpie's Bend. I think it's the third, from memory, uh, book in Mayer's sort of rural fiction series. They're standalone, but there's characters from each book who reappear in the next one. It's a beautiful cover. Look at that. Isn't she gorgeous? And that background is absolutely fabulous. So Bush nurse Lara McIntyre and rural journalist Toby Paxton thrust into the limelight when an accident puts the beating heart of their community in jeopardy. 
And in Maya's usual style, it's a great community story. There's loads of, of gorgeous rural setting and there's a black tie ball, a fun run, a magpie called Vegemite and a snake chasing Kelpie called Basil. So it's, it'll be a great read, I know, and I highly recommend that to everyone. And, you know, it is a long weekend this weekend. So if you're looking for books, there's still time to pop down to your local store, bookstore or download on Kindle. And many of these books will be on audio as well. I'm really looking forward to reading because I absolutely loved The Whisper Network by Chandler Baker. This is Chandler's new book, The Husbands. I don't think I've mentioned this one on the podcast yet, but the tagline is to what lengths would you go for just a little more help from your husband? I'm pretty sure that a lot of us would have a fine answer to that. Recently, Nora has started to feel that having it all, a family, a soon-to-be new house, a successful career, in law comes with a price, one her husband doesn't seem to be paying quite so heavily. When her house hunting takes them to an affluent suburban neighbourhood, Nora's eyes are open to a new world, one where women can have it all. But a wrongful death case involving one of the local residents draws Nora further into this perfect world and she begins to realise that the secret of having it all may in fact be worth killing for. How good does that sound? So Chandler's first book, The Whisper Network, if you haven't read that yet, that was a great read about murder in a corporate setting. So this one sounds like it's got a bit of a similar vibe, but I just devoured The Whisper Network and I can't wait to get into this one. Next up, we have a book by Michelle Wright. It's just some gorgeous covers around, aren't there? Small Acts of Defiance. It's a World War II novel, uh, the remarkable debut novel from acclaimed prize-winning short fiction writer Michelle Wright author of Fine. It's set in January 1940. After a bitter tragedy, young Australian woman Lucy and her French mother Yvonne are forced to leave home and seek help from the only family they have left. It's a gripping, meticulously researched novel and a nuanced, poetic and deeply serious exploration of the difference that individual choices can make. So that looks like another great war read. And as I said, it's on my pile and I will be getting to it very soon. Another great war, well, yeah, it is a war book actually, but I'm really keen to read this one, Sisters of the Resistance. And a shout out to Christine Wells, who I know is part of the Rights for Women community. And I'm going to be chatting to Christine very soon about this book. It's been a highly anticipated book. It's a novel of Catherine Dior's Paris Spy Network. So if any of you read uh, Natasha Lester's fabulous recent release, The Paris Secret, it featured Catherine Dior to some extent, and this one goes even further, I think, into Catherine Dior's life as uh, part of the French resistance. So Catherine Dior being the sister of the uh, very famous clothing designer. It's out now, and I know that that's just going to go gangbusters for Christine because everybody is talking about it and wanting to read it. Another book that I have received recently is this with this fabulous cover as well, Bryony Doyle. So what could drive a mother to do the unthinkable? Emma Cormack married into a perfect life, but now she's barely coping. Inside a palatial home, her three young children need more than she can give. Clem, a willful four-year-old, is intent on mimicking her grandmother. The formidable matriarch, Pat Cormack. Arthur is almost three and still won't speak. Baby Robbie is perfect, he's the future of the family, so why can't Emma hold him without wanting to scream? So it's got a bit of a before and after storyline and it looks like a really interesting read about women's lives and it's something, of course, that I love to read and to write, so I'm really looking forward to that one. And you can't miss that if you see it in the bookstore because look at that great cover. A couple of others that I've received recently and, and talk about great covers, look at this one, House of Qua 
by Mimi Kwa. This one looks really, really interesting as well. Mimi Kwa ignored the letter for days. When she finally opened it, the news was so shocking. Her hair turned grey. Why would a father sue his own daughter? So it looks like there's plenty of family intrigue in this one. And it's described as riveting, colourful and often darkly humorous, an epic family drama spanning four generations. So that sounds like quite the family saga, that one. So that one will be coming out very soon. I think. And this one isn't out till the 2nd of July, but also I'll give a shout out to that now because it is quite early next month that it'll be out. It's The Shut-Ins by Catherine Braben, a mesmeric wonder of a book described by Hannah Kent. At once bold and subtle, it continues to unsettle my thoughts in the best possible way. So Maya and Hikaru, Hikaru sorry, went to school together in the city of Nagoya until Hikaru disappeared when they were 18. It's not until 10 years later when Maya runs into Hikaru's mother that she learns Hikaru has become a hikikomori, a recluse unable to leave his bedroom for years. And then, of course, she goes to find out more about that. So that looks like a really different sort of story too and one that I think it will definitely be staying in my pile and that I will be getting to very soon. Also wanted to give a shout out to a couple of other books which aren't out yet, but I want you to keep your eyes out for them and you'll be seeing a lot of them on socials. This is The Last of the Apple Blossom by Mary Lou Stevens. Mary Lou is a fabulous supporter of the podcast. Shout out to Mary Lou. She sent me this gorgeous copy with um, some beautiful biscuits and a lovely card and this book will be out in August and it is Uh, a rural fiction family story. Uh, Through natural disasters, personal calamities and the devastating collapse of the Apple industry, Catherine, Annie and those they love battle to save their livelihoods, their families and their secrets. So another great family rural story and and look at that gorgeous cover. Congratulations, Mary Lou. Very excited for you. And I'll be chatting to Mary Lou later on in the year in the podcast. And can't let new releases go or upcoming releases without giving a shout out to lovely Natasha Lester. I got a copy of this. I'm very excited to read this. I've read and loved all of Natasha's books. She's a great friend of the podcast, has been on a few times, and I think we might have to get her back for a chat about this one, The Riviera House. Natasha's great, of course, on socials and has been giving us updates on how the writing of this book's been going and her new book that she's working on for the one after this. This one is a poignant meditation on loss and the courage it takes to start over a stark reminder of how the past influences the present. The novel kept me up at night, turning the pages faster and faster in order to be with its heroine, Remy, as she solved the mystery of an enigmatic painting and learned what happened to the resistance who risked their lives to help others. So that one's out from Natasha and won't be out until September 1st, but um, I'm sure it's up for pre-order and you're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the coming months. There is another one coming up which looks really, really good, but this isn't the actual cover, but I'm seeing lots of great things about this on socials as well. It's called Catch Us the Foxes. It's a debut from Nicola West, and it's set in Kiama, which is one of my very favourite places on the south coast here in New South Wales. So that's it for the writing and new release roundup. The second half of the podcast is the actual recording from last night's launch of Pamela Hart's book, Digging Up Dirt. And you might find, because we were recording this, you know, live at the time we were using handheld mics, there are a few little glitches in the sound here and there. I've tried to even them out as much as I can, but I don't think it's anything that should cause too much listening problem. And I really hope you enjoy 
this interview with Pamela Hart on the launch of Digging Up Dirt. It is a huge privilege to be here tonight to launch Pamela Hart's uh, new novel, Digging Up Dirt, and thank you very much to Berkelos and to Nicola and to Pamela for inviting me along to do this very special job tonight. Pamela and I have known each other for a long time now. I was trying to work it out and I just couldn't. We obviously share the same name, so I'm actually Pam tonight and she is Pamela. She's and very kind and let's, <laughs> let's me keep the Pamela. <laughs> we do share a love of writing and books. We're both authors and we particularly love stories, both reading and writing stories, I think, about women toughing it out in difficult circumstances. I was thinking today of what, you know, some of the commonalities are in Pamela's books and I realised it was something that I love to read and write about myself. So Pamela has written across many genres as Pamela Freeman, of course, and Pamela Hart, including biography, epic fantasy, children's poetry, crime fiction, historical and now cosy mystery, which is absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, so many genres, and there so is a word for that, genres. but we won't use it tonight. <laughs> now there's um, a child present. <laughs> Digging Up Dirt is a change of genre for Pamela, but there are many common threads with her previous book. I've actually spent the last few days in front of a very cosy fire, appropriately, reading yes. Digging Up Dirt and absolutely loving it. And in particular, I loved that it's a protagonist who won't go down without a fight. <laughs> We're going to talk about that a little bit more. In keeping with the genre... Digging Up Dirt features a quaint old house, a mystery surrounding the discovery of some old bones, a fabulous supporting cast, and a little romance. Got to have romance. That's right. I'm going to let Pamela tell you a bit more about the book, a lot more about the book, and we're going to, sorry for the pun, but we're going to dig deeper. Oh, yes. Had to, it had to, had, had to be said. It. Yeah. Had to be said. So, Pamela, congratulations Thank on you. the launch. and. As I said, I've just finished reading it, but can you tell us what it's about? So it starts with Poppy McGowan, my main character, whom hopefully you will also meet again in other books. And she's renovating a little old house in Annandale, and I mean little, tiny, and her builder finds bones as he takes up the floorboard. She brings in some archaeologists from the museum to find out if they are human bones or animal bones, and one of those archaeologists, a woman whom um, she doesn't really like all that much, is murdered in the house. So that's the beginning. And it delves into quite a few areas of Sydney life, from Pentecostal religion, right-wing politics, because the woman who was murdered is trying to get pre-selection for a right-wing seat, and museums. Actually, it goes in, into mm, a lot of the different areas of both inner Sydney and, and northwest Sydney life. Mm. But with a light touch, we hope, and, and a few laughs along the way. Yes, definitely. It did strike me as I was reading it how, you know, it is different, of course, to your previous books, particularly your most recent historicals. Yes, very different indeed. But there's also those little threads of similarity in the writing, of course, and the types of characters, I guess. But where did you get the idea for the book and why Cozy Mystery? I had come out of writing a historical novel which required an enormous amount of research into World War I medical procedures. Like, how do you amputate a leg in a field hospital? And while the book that 
came out of that research is not a grim book. The research itself was quite grim. And I came out of that going, I just want to write something that's fun. I want to write something that doesn't have any research at all, right? None. And that meant contemporary. So that was the first step, was to go to contemporary fiction. And a friend of mine, Ron Seduc, who runs Pulp Fiction Bookshop in, in Queensland, in Brisbane, suggested mystery because he knows I've always wanted to write a mystery and I've written some kids' mysteries. And, and I thought, yep, great. And I thought, I don't want to do any research, I don't want to do any work, I just want to write. And so I gave her my little old house in Annandale that I did, in fact, renovate from the dirt up. And I gave her my old job at the ABC and, my, and her ex-job was my ex-job at the powerhouse. And I gave a whole lot of my friends, with their permission, mind you, you know, like Ron, I said, do you want to be in the book? Yeah, I'll be in the book, you know. What do you want? How do you want to be? And he said, give me my hair back. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing. So it was quite collaborative, the whole process. And I, I may have given her a love interest who's an archaeologist Stephen, my husband, who's an archaeologist, is sitting over there, you know, looking noble. And, and that was fun also. So, yeah, I just, so I just had fun with it, yeah, basically. Yeah. I just, I didn't want to do any work, and so I just threw everything in. And I wrote it on spec, so usually I write to a contract. Mm. And to do that, you have a synopsis, and, and you've done the work of working out the structure and all of that kind of stuff. And in this case, I just sat down and had fun and wrote it. Oh, fantastic. Funny that you mentioned those similarities to a certain person's life because as I was reading it, you know, having known Pamela for a while, I did feel like I was reading quite a bit of your life in there. <laughs> it, was, it was quite interesting. But... I think that's why I'm so nervous about this book. I, I've, I've never put anything about my... You know, people say, oh, your first book's always autobiographical, right? And my first book was about a girl whose mother was a willow tree. <laughs> and she hung around with dragons and so you know that never quite worked and I, I think this is the first time I've used any autobiographical um, elements at all I've used my family history in like soldier's wife and desert nurse but but not me at all and I find partly I think because it is a new a very new I mean it's 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 a very new a different style very different style to the historical novels but also a, a new genre I am very nervous about this book, <laughs> like really, more than I have been, I think, since my first adult novel. Well, having read it, I don't think you need to be that nervous. Oh. But. So tell us about Poppy. She is like you, but she is also not you. So, oh, no, she's definitely so tell us about me. Poppy. No, she's much more together than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Poppy is a researcher at ABC Kids TV, Children's and Education Department, which was my old job. And she is a researcher and scriptwriter for children's television. And she's very happy being a researcher and scriptwriter for children's television, even though during the course of this book and, and the next one, people try to lure her to the dark side of news and current affairs. And, and that does happen. That's actually something happened while I was working at the ABC. And she's living with her parents while she renovates her little house. And that causes its own problems because Poppy's parents, her whole family, are very Catholic and she's not so much. And, and so there's, you know, certain tensions that arise when you go back to live with your parents as an adult. But the, the family is, is lovely and certainly features heavily in her life. And Stephen would be able to tell you that that 
probably is based on me. <laughs> but she's somebody who's... Two things, I think, are the main characteristics that make her a good person for a mystery. And one is that she's... Well, politely, you would say she's curious. Impolitely, you know, she's completely nosy. And she just likes to know things and find things out. And the other is that people tell her the story of their lives. So, so people, she's one of those people that people talk to. Mm. And this is me. I mean, this is something that happens to me all the time. I sit on a bus and somebody will sit down next to me and tell me the story of their life. It just happens. But it's a terrific characteristic for somebody who is investigating a mystery because people find themselves talking to her in ways that, that they don't expect. Mm. It's also a great characteristic for you as a writer, I imagine, to yeah, sit on a bus is, and get someone's is. life story. And, and I must admit, probably I look too interested <laughs> and that's, that's why they keep talking. <laughs> but people are interesting. I mean, that's... that's mm. The, the, that's why we watch reality television. You know, there's nothing more interesting to a human being than another human being. Mm. And and certainly, you know, when people sit down and tell me the story of their life, I don't say I'm not interested. Mm. I might ask a question or two. <laughs> and, uh, and they might turn up in a book later on, you know. Fancy that. Fancy that. <laughs> so being a cosy mystery, you know, I mean... There's a murder in here, you know, there is, and it's not giving away too much to say that a colleague of Poppy's is murdered in her house and hence the whole thing unfolds, you know, the story and the investigation. But how do you sort of toe that line, I'm quite curious, in a, in a cosy mystery, you know, when you are dealing with quite a serious issue in keeping it sort of light? Look, I think that there are certain rules. American cosies are very sweet, you know, but still, there are certain rules. There's no graphic violence on the page. You know, the murder always happens off the page. There's no graphic sex on the page. Any sex happens off the page. The difference between the Australian and the American ones is that in the American ones, only the bad people have sex. <laughs> Usually adulterous sex. But in Australian cosies, your her- heroine is allowed to have sex, just not on the page, you know. And I think a lot of it just comes out of the tone... The, the attitude of, of your narrator and the way they look at the world. And, and there's also quite a strong political thread in there, funnily enough. Funnily enough. <laughs> I wrote this before the whole Pentecostal Morrison thing came up. Oh, really? Yeah, because yeah, it did cross uh, my I mean, mind I as I was reading it. it. Obviously, I was aware of it, but it hadn't mm. kind of made the news thing. It was before the photo, you know. And it's, But I, my parents did live out in the hills and a certain Pentecostal church which we won't name has quite an influence out there and so I I became aware of that perhaps earlier than Mm. most people did and I hate it, I hate them Mm. not them, obviously I don't hate the people involved at all but the attitude that they bring and and what I believe to be a profoundly unchristian idea about that whole prosperity gospel stuff, mm. I think, is, is profoundly unchristian. So unchristian that it, it staggers me that they can actually call themselves Christians. Mm. So, yeah, it's something that I've felt. So when I was looking for a villain, <laughs> um, or when I was looking for a group of people who might be viable villains or red herrings or suspects or, you know, because they're not the only people who do bad things in this book and we find suspects in in many places but 
certainly I thought it was it was a good place to go looking. And that talking about the, the plotting it out and the red herrings and all that sort of thing, I'm not I can't remember from past chats whether you're a plotter or a pantser and how far did you go in plotting out those red herrings for this book? Well, I am usually half plotter, as I think many writers are. I know where I'm going to end up, the last kind of, you know, the climax and, and end. I know the beginning, I know the end, and, and I know a couple of bits along the way. But with this book, I knew nothing. I didn't know who had killed anybody. I didn't know why they'd killed Julianne. I found out as Poppy found out. And then once I had figured it out, I went back and planted a few more red herrings. Quite a few mystery writers write like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I heard, have heard of that, which yeah. absolutely Michael amazes Robotham me. Michael is, mm. is one, yeah. Mm. And Solari Gentile. Yes, Solari does it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what about the supporting cast? Because obviously Poppy, because it's under her roof where this happens, she's obviously a suspect, but there's quite a lot of other suspects in the story too. So can you tell us some of the supporting cast and how you develop them? I guess there's two sets of supporting cast. One are the people whom you're going to see in the next book. You know, so her family, her friends, the people she works with. And then there are the, the kind of book-specific, and those are the people who become suspects and, and red herrings. The book-specific cast, I guess, falls into two main groups. One of the people at the museum, uh, where Julianne, the, the victim, worked. And I did used to work at the powerhouse. And this is what I mean. I didn't want to do any research, so I just, I just used everything I knew. And then the people in the Australian family party where, where Julianne was trying to get pre-selection and the Radiant Joy Church, which is the church that's funding the Australian family party. And so those kind of three groups, kind of book-specific. Quite a large cast of characters, really. It is, actually, when hmm. I think about it. But I think if you're going... I mean, unless you've got one of those, you know, everybody in a country house cut off by the weather murders, <laughs> and which one day I really would like to have a go at because they're, they're very hard. A book to, club, I think. Really a book hard. club, oh, a book in, a country club house. in a country house. Yeah. Or the, that rainforest writer's retreat thing, you know. <laughs> that would be good. Every, yeah, a, a, a retreat of mystery writers. <laughs> that would be good. If you're not going to do one of those kind of closed-off things, you have to have an... I wanted Sydney to be part of this story. Mm. I love this city and it's more complex and interesting than the tourist guides would show you. I guess that's why I wanted a bigger mm. cast is that, you know, you spread your net wide, have a whole lot of threads going, that all of which could lead to the murderer. Remembering I didn't know who the murderer was. I wanted to give myself a choice. I think that makes a more interesting story. Mm. Definitely gave it that depth for sure. Well, let's talk about romance mm -hmm. because... Uh, when we meet Poppy, she is in a relationship with Stuart. Stuart. But she has an almost immediate attraction to the archaeologist called Toll. So come on, give us the goss. What's going on there with Poppy? Well, Stuart's not really all that satisfactory as a boyfriend, is he? Let's face it. And I, He's you know, a little dull, I have to say. He's a bit dull. He's very good looking. You know, kind of blonde surfer boy. But he, he is not a great boyfriend. He's not a bad person in any way. I think she deserves better. Well, I believe her mother says to her, there's no spark. There's no spark, no. And so clearly, Stuart's not going to last the book. I mean, that, it's, I think that's clear fairly early on. And Toll is 
very attractive, isn't he? You know, <laughs> intelligent, you know, not just good looking, but intelligent and funny and nice, kind, you know, clearly. Buys a, a nice coffee. Buys a nice coffee. Mm-hmm. Clearly, you know, a much better prospect, I think. As long as he didn't actually kill Julianne, who was his girlfriend. <laughs> And so, although there is an immediate attraction with Toll, there is the question, is he nice, really, or is he dangerous? And I'm afraid you're going to have to read the book to find out. Well, it is quite a shift for you, isn't it, this genre and, this, as you say, the style of yeah. writing. And I, I love that you mentioned before the Sydney nature of the book. It was great to read it and just to be so familiar with all those different settings and places that you talk about in the book. I know it's early days, but what sort of feedback are you getting from, from readers? You know, I was very nervous, but fortunately so far all the reviews have been great, so I, I can't complain. And I got a fantastic one from Dimmicks in Melbourne the other day Um, saying, if there is such a genre as charming crime fiction, this book is it. And I'm going, yes, okay, so now when people ask me, I'm not going to say cosy anymore, I'm going to say, I write charming crime fiction. (laughs) You have your own genre. I have my own genre. Well, actually, it's interesting because there's not much out in the Australian market like this. The the equivalent books are historical. So the the Miss Fisher books, Solari's books, Solari Gentili, that kind of level of mystery with an amateur. I don't like calling her an amateur sleuth because she's not deliberately Mm. investigating things. People just talk to her. It's not a police procedural. She's not a private detective, you know. And really there isn't anything else out except maybe Tansy Rayner Roberts' book set in Hobart that that is like this. So, yeah, sure, why not? Mm. Let's create a new genre for Australian fiction and it's the charming crime genre. (laughs) Yeah, Nicola's, my publisher's quite happy about that, so that's fine. I think we're all happy about that, yeah. And I know you have a lot of projects on the go. (laughs) Maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of those, but in particular you did mention that there could be another poppy book on the horizon. In the structural edit stage of Shooting for Fame is the second book. And many of the characters return. Those of you who've read it, Auntie Mary is a major character in this one. Auntie Mary introduces herself in Digging Up Dirt by coming into the land room and saying, I'm dying, you know. <laughs> Which is a direct quote from my Auntie Pauline. And I, I loved Auntie Mary as a character and I had to bring her back. So, so she's a major character in, in the next one. Excellent. Well, I think you're going to do a little reading for us, aren't you? Before Just we a tiny up. one. Because I do think that the first page does actually give you the sense of the book. Monday. Hello, miss. It was Boris, my carpenter, and he sounded worried. Miss, I found something. Something? What? Where? I dug the hole for the post. I found... His voice dropped. Body. What? A body, miss. What kind of body? I was thinking for some reason of an old car body, a Valiant or a Ford or something, and wondering how they'd got it in the door. You know, bones. Skellington. A skeleton? I almost dropped the phone, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but my first thought was, this is going to completely stuff up my renovations. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fabulous taste. (laughs) I do feel that it may be the most Sydney opening for a book that's ever <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, 
I don't know if anyone has any questions, perhaps, of Pamela that you'd like to ask. That's a, okay, that's a really interesting question. Um, Sandy has asked, how do I write the book so fast? This is an illusion. <laughs> because each of those books has been worked on for quite a long time. It's just that they come out at regular intervals. But I usually have several projects going. And, and this book took quite a few years. I, I don't churn. <laughs> don't churn out. But a book like one of the historical novels, for example, like Desert, Desert Nurse or Charleston Scandal, I might be bringing out one a year. Or with this, I might be bringing out one a year. But they may take three or four years to write each. I'm at different... Sta the, the question is, do I write two at the same time? Different stages... So one will be in first draft and then I'll go to a structural edit on another draft or I'll go to a third draft on something else. So there are no two books that are at the same stage at any time. One might be just at the moment I'm thinking about the third poppy book and I will have been thinking about the third poppy book for two or three years before I start writing it. So it's an, that is an illusion and I think that's true of almost all productive writers. Productive is a word I prefer to prolific. So, yeah, product, I think for most productive writers, they've had things simmering for a long time before they actually get to work on them. Were there any other questions for Pamela? What was the hardest thing about writing Digging Up Dirt? Giving it to people to read, I think, because it's so different to anything I've done before and because I have put more of myself into it than other books, that ups the kind of, oh, my God, what if they don't like it factor. And, and also, I guess, the kind of getting the pacing right and all of those technical things because it's a new genre for me and I hadn't done it before. But, of course, I have Nicola, the wonderful publisher, to help me along with that. And every single one of my books is better because they've been edited. I think it's, it's really important to say that. A lot of my students are here tonight and I often get people going, oh, I read this and I think, oh, I'll never be any good, you know. But you're reading like the eighth draft of something or the tenth draft of something and they've gone through the editorial process and they've rewritten it and they've rewritten and, you know, and you can't compare your first draft with somebody's eighth draft or tenth draft that's gone through the entire professional editorial process. So, yeah, I had some technical issues. My first meeting with Nicola, she came and sat down with a slight nervousness, I thought, and said, do we need the prologue? And I went, nah, let's get rid of it. And, <laughs> and she went, you know, so, you know, you've got to be prepared to be radical when you edit. But in this case, I think it's mostly my nerves has been the hardest thing about it. You know, it's like, it's quite confronting to me to, to do everything new. Jane, down the back. Oh, so the prologue was what my old agent had talked me into writing, which was not from Poppy's point of view, where the murder victim dressed very provocatively opened her door to an unnamed visitor, unnamed gentleman visitor, and, and, in, and invited him in. And, and so it was set up right from the beginning that there was an unnamed gentleman visitor. And I wrote that, at, you know, she's no longer my agent. We kind of parted company. I think our views on things had changed over the years and we no longer fit together. So I have a new agent for this book. But it, it never quite sat 
right with me. And so when Nicola said, can we get rid of it? I was like, yes, let's get rid of it. We don't need it. Yeah. Well, it works beautifully without it. So. Thank you. Any other questions? Nicola said. <laughs> so I'm sorry, the question was, why is it Pamela Hart and not Pamela Freeman? Okay, so I'll go back a step. When I started writing historical novels, Hachette, my then publisher, said, look, when you pub we published epic fantasy under Pamela Freeman, booksellers thought of you as a children's writer because I'd been writing children's books for quite a long time before that. Do you mind if we have a new name? And so Hart is my husband's name. It was there. But at the same time, as Pamela Freeman, I had won the New South Wales Premier's History Prize. And they wanted to be able to say Pamela Hart is an award-winning historical writer. And by using my quote-unquote married name, a thing I had never done, it allowed, it, it allowed me to be still the same person, not to kind of um, have two personalities sort of thing. So we went to Pamela Hart. My mother-in-law was very pleased. <laughs> she said, at least now I don't have to explain to my friends why your name isn't Hart, you know, on, on the cover. But when I, when I submitted it originally, I submitted it as a Pamela Freeman book. And Nicola and I assumed the sales teams at, at Harlequin said, well, we, we think we would prefer to take some of your readers across from the historical reads. And it's interesting, there's quite a, an overlap. A lot of my historical readers reading the book now and, and putting up great reviews, which is terrific. So... Good choice. <laughs> yes, very good choice. All right, well, just before we wrap up, I'd just like to say congratulations and cheers on a fabulous book and um, Digging Up Dirt is officially launched. Oh. Yay! <laughs> Thank you everyone. so much, Pam. <laughs> it is a huge privilege to be here tonight to launch Pamela Hart's uh, new novel, Digging Up Dirt, and thank you very much to Berkelos and to Nicola and to Pamela for inviting me along to do this very special job tonight. Pamela and I have known each other for a long time now. I was trying to work it out and I just couldn't. We obviously share the same name, so I'm actually Pam tonight and she is Pamela. She's and very kind and let's, <laughs> let's me keep the Pamela. <laughs> We do share a love of writing and books. We're both authors and we particularly love stories, both reading and writing stories, I think, about women toughing it out in difficult circumstances. I was thinking today of what, you know, some of the commonalities are in Pamela's books and I realised it was something that I love to read and write about myself. So Pamela has written across many genres as Pamela Freeman, of course, and Pamela Hart, including biography, epic fantasy, children's poetry, crime fiction, historical, and now cosy mystery, which is absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, so many genres, and there so is a word for genres. that, but we won't use it tonight. <laughs> now there's a um, child present. <laughs> Digging Up Dirt is a change of genre for Pamela, but there are many common threads with her previous book. I've actually spent the last few days in front of a very cosy fire, appropriately reading Digging Up Dirt and absolutely loving it and in particular I loved that it's a protagonist who won't go down without a fight <laughs> we're going to talk about that a little bit more in keeping with the genre Digging Up Dirt features a quaint old house a mystery surrounding the discovery of some old bones 
a fabulous supporting cast and a little romance. Got to have romance. That's right. I'm going to let Pamela tell you a bit more about the book, a lot more about the book, and we're going to, sorry for the pun, but we're going to dig deeper. Oh, yes. Had to, it had to, had, had, to to be said, yeah. had to be said. So, Pamela, congratulations Thank on you. the launch. And as I said, I've just finished reading it, but can you tell us what it's about? So, it starts with Poppy McGowan, my main character, whom hopefully you will also meet again in other books. And she's renovating a little old house in Annandale, and I mean little, tiny, and her builder finds bones as he takes up the floorboard. She brings in some archaeologists from the museum to find out if they are human bones or animal bones, and one of those archaeologists, a woman whom um, she doesn't really like all that much, is murdered in the house. So that's the beginning, and it delves into quite a few areas of Sydney life, from Pentecostal religion, right-wing politics, because the woman who was murdered is trying to get pre-selection for a right-wing seat, and museums. Actually, it goes in, into mm, a lot of the different areas of both inner Sydney and, and northwest Sydney life. Mm. But with a light touch, we hope, and, and a few laughs along the way. Yes, definitely. It did strike me as I was reading it how... You know, it is different, of course, to your previous books, particularly your most recent historicals. Yes, very different indeed. But there's also those little threads of similarity in the writing, of course, and the types of characters, I guess. But where did you get the idea for the book and why Cozy Mystery? I had come out of writing a historical novel which required an enormous amount of research into World War I medical procedures, like how do you amputate a leg in a field hospital? And while the book that came out of that research is not a grim book, the research itself was quite grim. And I came out of that going, I just want to write something that's fun. I want to write something that doesn't have any research at all, right? None. And that meant contemporary. So that was the first step, was to go to contemporary fiction and a friend of mine, Ron Saduke, who runs Pulp Fiction Bookshop in, in Queensland, in Brisbane, suggested mystery because he knows I've always wanted to write a mystery and I've written some kids' mysteries. And, and I thought, yep, great. And I thought, I don't want to do any research. I don't want to do any work. I just want to write. And so I gave her my little old house in Annandale that I did, in fact, renovate from the dirt up. And I gave her my old job at the ABC and, my, and her ex-job was my ex-job at the powerhouse. And I gave a whole lot of my friends, with their permission, mind you, you know, like Ron, I said, do you want to be in the book? Yeah, I'll be in the book, you know. What do you want? How do you want to be? And he said, give me my hair back. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing. So it was quite collaborative, the whole process. And I, I may have given her a love interest who's an archaeologist. Stephen, my husband, who's an archaeologist, is sitting over there, you know, looking noble. And, and that was fun also. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, so I just had fun with yeah, it, basically. Yeah. I just, I didn't want to do any work, and so I just threw everything in. And I wrote it on spec. So usually I write to a contract, mm. and to do that you have a, a synopsis and, and you've done the work of working out structure and all of that kind of stuff. And in this case, I just sat down and had fun and wrote it. Oh, fantastic. Funny that you mentioned those similarities to <laughs> a certain person's life, because... As I was reading it, you know, having known Pamela for a while, I did feel like I was reading quite a bit of your life in there. <laughs> it was 
It was quite interesting. But I think that's why I'm so nervous about this book. I, I've, I've never put anything about my... You know, people say, oh, your first book's always autobiographical, right? And my first book was about a girl whose mother was a willow tree. <laughs> and she hung around with dragons. And I, so, you know, that never quite worked. And I, I think this is the first time I've used any autobiographical um, elements at all. I've used my family history in, like, Soldier's Wife and Desert Nurse, but but not me at all. And I find partly, I think, because it is a new, a very new, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very new, a different style, very different style to the historical novels, but also a new genre. I am very nervous about this book, <laughs> like really, more than I have been, I think, since my first adult novel. Well, having read it, I don't think you need to be that nervous. Oh. But. So tell us about Poppy. She is like you, but she is also not you. So, oh, no, she's definitely so tell us about me. Poppy. No, she's much more together than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Poppy is a researcher at ABC Kids TV, Children's and Education Department, which was my old job. And she is a researcher and scriptwriter for children's television. And she's very happy being a researcher and scriptwriter for children's television, even though during the course of this book and, and the next one, people try to lure her to the dark side of news and current affairs. And, and that does happen. That's actually something happened while I was working at the ABC. And she's living with her parents while she renovates her little house. And that causes its own problems because Poppy's parents, her whole family, are very Catholic. And she's not so much. And, and so there's, you know, certain tensions that arise when you go back to live with your parents as an adult. But the, the family is, is lovely and certainly features heavily in her life. And Stephen would be able to tell you that that probably is based on me. <laughs> but she's somebody who's... Two things, I think, are the main characteristics that make her a good person for a mystery. And one is that she's... Well, politely, you would say she's curious. Impolitely, you know, she's completely nosy. And she just likes to know things and find things out. And the other is that people tell her the story of their lives. So, so she's one of those people that people talk to. Mm. And this is me. I mean, this is something that happens to me all the time. I sit on a bus and somebody will sit down next to me and tell me the story of their life. It just happens. But it's a terrific characteristic for somebody who is investigating a mystery because people find themselves talking to her in ways that, that they don't expect. Mm. It's also a great characteristic for you as a writer, I imagine, to yeah, sit on a bus is, and get someone's is. life story. And, and I must admit, probably I look too interested, and that's, that's why they keep talking. But people are interesting. I mean, that's, that's, the, the, that's why we watch reality television. You know, there's nothing more interesting to a human being than another human being. And, and certainly, you know, when people sit down and tell me the story of their life, I don't say I'm not interested mm. I might ask a question or two, <laughs> and, uh, and they might turn up in a book later on, you know. Fancy that. Fancy that. <laughs> so, being a cosy mystery, you know, I mean, there's a murder in here, you know, there is, and it's not giving away too much to say that a colleague of Poppy's is murdered in her house, and hence the whole thing unfolds, you know, the story and the investigation, but... How do you sort of toe that line, I'm quite curious, in a, in a cosy mystery, you know, when you are dealing with quite a serious issue, in keeping it sort of light? Look, I think that there are certain rules 
American cozies are very sweet, you know. But still there are certain rules. There's no graphic violence on the page. You know, the murder always happens off the page. There's no graphic sex on the page. Any sex happens off the page. The difference between the Australian and the American ones is that in the American ones, only the bad people have sex. <laughs> Usually adulterous sex. But in Australian cosies, your heroine is allowed to have sex, just not on the page, you know. And I think a lot of it just comes out of the tone, the, the attitude of, of your narrator and the way they look at the world. And, and there's also quite a strong political thread in there, funnily enough. Funnily enough. <laughs> I wrote this before the whole Pentecostal Morrison thing came up. Oh, really? Yeah, because yeah, it did cross um, my I mean, mind I as I was it, reading it. Obviously, I was aware of it, but it hadn't kind of made the news thing. It was before the photo, you know. And it's, but I, my parents did live out in the hills and a certain Pentecostal church, which we won't name, has quite an influence out there. And so I, I became aware of that perhaps earlier than mm. most people did. And I hate it. I hate them. Mm. Not them. Obviously, I don't hate the people involved at all. But the attitude that they bring... And, and what I believe to be a profoundly unchristian idea about that whole prosperity gospel stuff, mm. I think is, is profoundly unchristian, so unchristian that it, it staggers me that they can actually call themselves Christians. Mm. So, yeah, it's something that I felt... So when I was looking for a villain, <laughs> um, or when I was looking for a group of people who might be viable villains or red herrings or suspects or, you know, because they're not the only people who do bad things in this book and we find suspects in, in many places. But certainly I thought it was, it was a good place to go looking. And that talking about the, the plotting it out and the red herrings and all that sort of thing, I'm not, I can't remember from past chats whether you're a plotter or a pantser and how far did you go in plotting out those red herrings for this book? Well, I am usually half plotter, as I think many writers are. I know where I'm going to end up, the last kind of, you know, the climax and, and end. I know the beginning, I know the end, and I know a couple of bits along the way. But with this book, I knew nothing. I didn't know who had killed anybody. I didn't know why they'd killed Julianne. I found out as Poppy found out. And then once I had figured it out, I went back and planted a few more red herrings. Quite a few... Mystery writers write like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard, have heard of that, which yeah. absolutely Michael amazes Robotham me. Michael is, mm. is one. Yeah, and Solari Gentile. Yes, yeah, Solari does too. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what about the supporting cast? Because obviously, Poppy, because it's under her roof where this happens, she's obviously a suspect. But there's quite a lot of other suspects in the story too. So, can you tell us some of the supporting cast and how you develop them? I guess there's two sets of supporting cast. Mm. One are the people whom you're going to see in the next book. You know, so her family, her friends, the people she works with. And then there are the, the kind of book-specific, and those are the people who become suspects and, and red herrings. The book-specific cast, I guess, falls into two main groups. One of the people at the museum, uh, where Julianne, the, the victim, worked. And I did used to work at the powerhouse. And... This is what I mean. I didn't want to do any research, so I just, I just used everything I knew. And then the people in the Australian Family Party, where, where Julianne was trying to get pre-selection, and the Radiant Joy Church, which is the church that's funding the Australian Family Party. 
And so those sort of three groups, kind of book-specific. Quite a large cast of characters, really. It is, actually, when Hmm. I think about it. But I think if you're going... I mean, unless you've got one of those, you know, everybody in a country house cut off by the weather murders, (laughs) and which one day I really would like to have a go at because they're they're very hard. Book club, I think. Really hard. Book club in the country house. In the country house, yeah. Or the that rainforest writers retreat thing, you know, (laughs) that'd be good. Every yeah, a a retreat of mystery writers. (laughs) That'd be good. If you're not going to do one of those kind of closed off things, you have to have an. I wanted Sydney to be part of this story. I love this city and it's more complex and interesting than the tourist guides would show you. I guess that's why I wanted a bigger Mm. cast is that, you know, spread your net wide, have a whole lot of threads going, that all of which could lead to the murderer. Remembering I didn't know who the murderer was. I wanted to give myself a choice. I think that makes a more interesting story. Mm. Definitely gave it that depth for sure. Well, let's talk about romance Mm -hmm. because... uh, when we meet Poppy, she is in a relationship with Stuart. Stuart. But she has an almost immediate attraction to the archaeologist called Toll. So, come on, give us the goss. What's going on there with Poppy? Well, Stuart's not really all that satisfactory as a boyfriend, is he? Let's face it. And I, He's you know, a little dull, I have to say. He's a bit dull. He's very good looking. You know, kind of blonde surfer boy. But he, he is not a great boyfriend. He's not a bad person in any way. I think she deserves better. Well, I believe her mother says to her, there's no spark. There's no spark, no. And so clearly, Stuart's not going to last the book. I mean, that it's, I think that's clear fairly early on. And Toll is very attractive, isn't he? You know, I mean, intelligent, you know, not just good-looking, but intelligent and funny and nice, kind, you know. Clearly. a nice coffee buys a nice coffee, mm-hmm. clearly, you know, a much better prospect, I think. As long as he didn't actually kill Julianne, who was his girlfriend. <laughs> and so, although there is an immediate attraction with Toll, there is the question, is he nice, really? Or is he dangerous? And I'm afraid you're going to have to read the book to find out. Well, it is quite a shift for you, isn't it, this genre and this, as you say, the style of writing. And I I love that you mentioned before the Sydney nature of the book. It was great to read it and just to be so familiar with all those different settings and places that you talk about in the book. I know it's early days, but what sort of feedback are you getting from from readers? You know, I was very nervous, but fortunately so far all the reviews have been great. So I I can't complain. And I got a fantastic one from Dimmicks in Melbourne the other day Um, saying, if there is such a genre as charming crime fiction, this book is it. And I'm going, yes, okay. So now when people ask me, I'm not going to say cosy anymore. I'm going to say, I write charming crime fiction. (laughs) You have your own genre. I have my own genre. Well, actually, it's interesting because there's not much out in the Australian market like this. The the equivalent books are historical. So the the Miss Fisher books, Solari's books, Solari Gentili, that kind of level of mystery with an amateur. I don't like calling her an amateur sleuth because she's not deliberately mm. investigating things. People just talk to her. It's not a police procedural. She's not a private detective, you know. And really there isn't anything else out except maybe Tansy Rainer Roberts' book set in Hobart that, that is like this. 
so yeah, sure, why not? Let's create a new genre for yeah. Australian fiction and it's the charming crime genre. <laughs> yeah, Nicola's, yeah. my publisher's quite happy about that, so that's fine. Yeah, I think we're all happy about that. And I know you have a lot of projects on the go. <laughs> Maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of those. But in particular, you did mention that there could be another poppy book on the horizon. In tell the structural edit stage of Shooting for Fame is the second book. And many of the characters return. Those of you who've read it, Auntie Mary is a major character in this one. Auntie Mary introduces herself in Digging Up Dirt by coming into the land room and saying, I'm dying, you know. <laughs> which is a direct quote from my Auntie Pauline. And I, I loved Auntie Mary as a character and I had to bring her back. So, so she's a major character in, in the next one. Excellent. Well, I think you're going to do a little reading for us, aren't you, before Just we finish Just a tiny up. one because I do think that the first page does actually give you the sense of the book. Monday. Hello, miss. It was Boris, my carpenter, and he sounded worried. Miss, I found something. Something? What? Where? I dug the hole for the post. I found... His voice dropped. Body. What? A body, miss. What kind of body? I was thinking for some reason of an old car body, a Valiant or a Ford or something, and wondering how they'd got it in the door. You know, bones. Skellington. A skeleton? I almost dropped the phone, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but my first thought was, this is going to completely stuff up my renovations. <laughs> yeah, that's a fabulous taste. <laughs> Do you feel that it may be the most Sydney opening for a book? That's <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I don't know if anyone has any questions, perhaps, of Pamela, that you'd like to ask. That's a Okay, that's a really interesting question. Um, Sandy has asked, how do I write the book so fast? This is an illusion. <laughs> because each of those books has been worked on for quite a long time. It's just that they come out at regular intervals. But I usually have several projects going. And, and this book took quite a few years. I, I don't churn don't churn out but a book like one of the historical novels for example like Desert, Desert Nurse or Charleston Scandal I might be bringing out one a year or with this I might be bringing out one a year but they may take three or four years to write each I'm at different state the, the question is do I write two at the same time different stages so one will be in first draft and then I'll go to a structural edit on another draft or I'll go to a third draft on something else. So there are no two books that are at the same stage at any time. One might be just at the moment I'm thinking about the third poppy book and I will have been thinking about the third poppy book for two or three years before I start writing it. So it's an, that is an illusion and I think that's true of almost all productive writers. Productive is a word I prefer to prolific. So, yeah, product, I think for most productive writers, they've had things simmering for a long time before they actually get to work on them. Were there any other questions for Pamela? What was the hardest thing about writing Digging Up Dirt? Giving it to people to read, I think, because it's so different to anything I've done before and because I have put more of myself into it than other books, that ups the kind of, oh, my God, what if they don't like it, factor. And 
and also I guess the kind of getting the pacing right and all of those technical things because it's a new genre for me and I hadn't done it before but of course I have Nicola the wonderful publisher to help me along with that and every single one of my books is better because they've been edited. I think it's it's really important to say that. A lot of my students are here tonight and I often get people going, oh, I read this and I think, oh, I'll never be any good, you know. But you're reading like the eighth draft of something or the tenth draft of something and they've gone through the editorial process and they've rewritten it and they've rewritten and, you know, and you can't compare your first draft with somebody's eighth draft or tenth draft that's gone through the entire professional editorial process. So, yeah, I had some technical issues. My first meeting with Nicola, she came and sat down with a slight nervousness, I thought, and said, do we need the prologue? And I went, nah, let's get rid of it. And (laughs) and she went, "Ah, great, you know. So, you know, you've got to be prepared to be radical when you edit. But in this case, I think it's mostly my nerves has been the hardest thing about it. You know, it's like, it's quite confronting to me to, to do everything new. Jane, down the back. Oh, so the prologue was what my old agent had talked me into writing, which was not from Poppy's point of view, where the murder victim dressed very provocatively opened her door to an unnamed visitor, unnamed gentleman visitor, and and, in, and invited him in. And, and so it was set up right from the beginning that there was an unnamed gentleman visitor. And I wrote that, at, you know, she's no longer my agent. We kind of parted company. I think our views on things had changed over the years and we no longer fit together. So I have a new agent for this book. But it, it never quite sat right with me and so when Nicola said can we get rid of it I was like yes let's get rid of it we don't need it yeah well it works beautifully without it thank you any other questions Nicola said (laughs) (laughs) so I'm sorry the question was why is it Pamela Hart and not Pamela Freeman okay so I'll go back a step when I started writing historical novels Hachette my then publisher said look when you pub- we published Epic Fantasy under Pamela Freeman, booksellers thought of you as a children's writer because I'd been writing children's books for quite a long time before that. Do you mind if we have a new name? And so Hart is my husband's name. It was there. But at the same time, as Pamela Freeman, I had won the New South Wales Premier's History Prize and they wanted to be able to say Pamela Hart is an award-winning historical writer. And by using my quote-unquote married name, a thing I had never done, it allowed, it, it allowed me to be still the same person, not to kind of um, have two personalities sort of thing. So we went to Pamela Hart. My mother-in-law was very pleased. <laughs> she said, at least now I don't have to explain to my friends why your name isn't Hart, you know, on, on the cover. But when I, when I submitted it originally, I submitted it as a Pamela Freeman book. And Nicola and I assumed the sales teams at Harlequin said, well, we, we think we would prefer to take some of your readers across from the historical reads. And it's interesting, there's quite a, an overlap. A lot of my historical readers reading the book now and, and putting up great reviews, which is terrific. So good, good choice. <laughs> yes, very good choice. All right, well, just before we wrap up, I'd just like to say congratulations and cheers on a fabulous book and um, Digging Up Dirt is officially launched. Oh. Yay!
Thank you everyone. so much, Pen. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4W Podcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women, or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. And remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs>